0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is July the 1st, 2022. This is the last show we're doing over the July 4th break. I'm not quite sure what July 4th Independence Day is going to be like in the United States. It's unusual times on lots of fronts. According to CNN, if you're flying this weekend, you should brace yourselves for operational challenges. There seem to be uh, a broader crisis of operational challenges in America. The news, of course, remains all about the uh, January 6th committee. Lots of stories about Donald Trump seizing control of or trying to seize control of the steering wheel of his car to head off to the riots. Lots of intimidation of his aide, Cassidy Hutchinson. Most astonishingly, though, uh, according to polls, at least, uh, Donald Trump, for all this news, still beats Joe Biden uh, or Ron DeSantis in a 2024 match-up. So what to make of the current health, the state of America, before this Independence Day? I'm thrilled and honored that we're having a pre-publication conversation with one of America's leading novelists, A.M. Holmes. Her book, The Unfolding, will be out in September. But I'm, as I said, I'm honored that we're going to be talking to her a little bit before the book comes out. Uh, the book has, as you can see, a cover with... Um, a slice of cake, a very American notion with, of course, some stars on it. There do not seem to be any stripes. And uh, A.M. is joining us uh, from a rather unusual location. A.M., welcome. Happy Independence Day, if that's appropriate.
1: I'm not even sure what Independence Day means anymore, Andrew, but I think it's an interesting idea. Um, yes, very happy to be with you.
0: Well, let's try and... Figure out what Independence Day has meant, should mean, and will mean. Um, your first novel for 10 years, your, your fans have been waiting for this one. Um, it's about America. It's about the current state of this country. What else is there really, I think, as an American writer to write about? Um, don't want you to give away the plot, especially since people can't buy the book yet. But what drew you to writing this book?
1: I think quite a few years ago, I had the distinct sense that things were starting to go off the rails and that really the American political system had lost touch with the American people and that we weren't um, having a conversation anymore and that the people weren't actually being represented by their elected officials. And so I thought about how how to begin to look at that. And for me, always, as you know, is, you know it's got to be funny and it's got to be um, sort of an eye into what's happening uh, that is from a point of view that we've not yet seen or heard from.
0: You're a fiction writer, um, but also a nonfiction writer. I did a show earlier today with a science fiction writer, and we've had this conversation with many different writers, actually, over the last few months. What happens when, fic- uh, when, when, when the world itself seems more absurd than either science fiction or fiction. I, I assume you've given that some thought and that I comes out in that, your book. Yeah,
1: I, you know, that is the area where I live and where I think you know, all the time. You know, For me, the sort of the first moment that that happened when all of a sudden the, as I would call it, the known world became no longer familiar, which was 9-11. And all of a sudden what seemed like a stable world around me became unstable and unsafe. And the question is, how do you write in relationship to that? And I think it's very, very interesting that in the last few years, there has been a a real rise of science fiction and speculative fiction, because that allows many writers to create worlds um, and sort of inhabit them, I think in a way, to to explore some of the, the, the larger ideas and themes. But it is super disconcerting when the world that we depend upon for a certain kind of, for no pun intended, reality check becomes so absurd and so unfamiliar that it you know i think it's actually we see a lot of anxiety among people and i think that's where it's coming from
0: how does that impact uh, a writer like you i remember with 911 uh there was an interesting piece i think it was in the new york review of books mm-hmm. about don delilo and the impact of 911 which of course could have been imagined by delilo and then happened right and perhaps it affected his Power as a writer, as a fiction writer, how does it affect you, do you think? Do you have to rethink, recalibrate your 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 skills, your 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 way of thinking about the world?
1: I think it, again, very, very good question. And I think one of the, the questions about 9-11. I wrote a book shortly thereafter that was called This Book Will Save Your Life. And one of the things for me was a question about how to write optimistically about people and life and and you know our world at a time that's not inherently optimistic and it's interesting because i think of the best of literature historically is not necessarily optimistic or fun or you know we talk all the more lately about likable characters historically we don't have likable characters you know you have lolita you have crime and punishment you have all these books where you don't think oh i love those guys um but i think when the world is getting to be very difficult we do crave characters that we feel uh can be comforting and that we can find some attachment to. And so I was thinking a lot about how do we write, you know, sort of looking up at the world. And even with this book, I would say I tried very much as much as there is a sort of a thread of darkness and a threat of darkness in it. I also very much wanted there to be some sense that there is, a, you know, another world rising or another possibility rising.
0: Well, you have to do that to prepare for this. I don't need much of an excuse for this i listened to bruce springsteen's independence day with its reminder of this complicated relationship between sons and fathers uh springsteen famously wrote and sang well papa go to bed now it's getting late nothing we can say is going to change anything now and then he writes about well say good not goodbye it's independence day it's Independence Day. All boys must run away. All men must make their way. Come Independence Day. Your book is about family, and yes. boys, and men, and women, and girls, isn't it?
1: Yes, absolutely. Yes, and and also the legacies of of you know what what each generation brings to the next, and and what is inherited, and the, the complexity of that. Yes.
0: Perhaps say a little bit more without again giving away the plot. Um, the American family, again, like yeah. any like any national family, is well-traversed as, as from a a writer point of view, whether it's fiction or not fiction. What is this surreal couple of decades since 9-11 in American history, what has it done to the American family? It was already pretty weird in the first place, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, I think a lot about the American family almost going back to the end of World War II and, and sort of, you know, Eisenhower and talking about that, rise of the military industrial complex and sort of I look at the end of the 1950s when when men were men and women were women and funny enough we talk about you know the the 60s and 70s brought in birth control brought in things where women were suddenly in in the workforce more uh and and big big shifts and now suddenly and I would say you know for many of us quite abruptly we're feeling like we're being hurled backward in time so I think you know for men and women and the questions are sort of where do we go from here, and who are we to each other? And I think, you know, honestly, a lot of women are asking, how do I depend on or, you know, rely upon the men in my life in some ways to um, protect me? And it's, this is going to sound so weird because it sounds so old school, but, you know, we need women who want to retain the right to make choices about their bodies also need the support of the men in their lives to retain those rights. Um, and so I think that's a very complicated dance right
0: now. Yeah, I wish it was a dance. I think it's something yeah. else. Um, you did, a, you did a, an interesting conversation earlier this month with uh, a guest on my show, Phil Clay,
1: yeah.
0: uh, an ex-soldier who's written with great sensitivity and power, I think, about the crisis of the American military in his new book, Uncertain Ground. Is this crisis bound up in the American role in the world? It's failure to come to terms with what it's grown up into, and particularly in, 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 a, in a military context. You know, Trump seems to capture that. This big man, there's a big man at the heart of your book, a big man who, of course, is anything but a big man who got out of every war and is, if anything, a, is, there's nothing brave about him. Anytime there's any real violence, he runs away.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think I'm not sure if the question is, 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 is where we are now sort of tied to to our relationship to the military and our and our sense of ourselves as a country. Also, you know, I think post World War II, we were we were a supreme power. If not, we saw ourselves as the supreme power. Um, And I think the last, you know, 10 years have been difficult. And even the relationship of how Americans feel about their military, how we treat our military. I think, is very much an open question. Um, You know, to my mind, I would say we certainly don't show enough appreciation for for the men and women who serve in the military. And there was an interesting piece, you know, sort of during the end of the Trump presidency where all of a sudden all those people who were so anti-military were actually hoping that the military would do the right thing and actually not cave into, you know, what seemed like, you know, a president off the rails wishes for... Military, and, 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 and
0: we we did a a show with Mike Esper, Trump's yeah. Secretary of Defense. I mean, my reading, it's uh, George Packer's reading as well, yeah. is that in many ways the American military was the one institution to actually stand up to Trump. And those dark days during the Black Lives Matter demonstrations in Washington D.C. were critical in saving the Republic, at least in the short term.
1: Yes, I think that, and I think that that was also both very interesting and very rele- revealing in some ways and heartening to think okay, so there are some institutions that are not prone to the kind of political sway that at the moment seems to me like we're often almost in a near tornado of you know political sway, right So it's 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 a difficult time, I think, for many people.
0: Well that that is the ultimate euphemism I think uh, like uh, operational challenges. Uh, Do you feel like when you're writing about America, do you feel like in a sense you're, you're writing about your own family and you have to be a little careful? You're one of the major, uh, you're one of the big fiction writing brands in America. The book, the unfolding is going to come out in the UK as well. Uh, You're going to spend a week there in September. Do you fear that the book will be treated differently, read differently around the world, given America's poor standing?
1: Um, You know, I fear more about how the book will be read in this country. Historically, my books have, I don't want to say done well necessarily in the commercial sense outside of this country, but in the critical sense and in the sense of being a reflection of the contemporary American experience. In this country, we seem to be often quite confused about satire and what one means when one is being satirical. And I think outside of the US, there's a a deeper appreciation of that. And also in many ways, America tends to be slightly ahistoric. And this book is certainly filled with history. And so I think I'm curious and a little nervous about where it will land here. I'm expecting in some ways a much better reception outside of our borders.
0: The book has already been acclaimed by Gary Steingart, who was on my show, a very funny uh, American Russian writer uh, back in 2012. It's also come with glowing review from Salman Rushdie, neither of whom I guess you could think of as American writers.
1: Right.
0: Coming back to your issue of satire, do you think that American writers struggle on the satire front? Is that perhaps because it's so hard to be satirical? Uh, in America, when reality always outstrips fiction.
1: Well, it's it, and it's to me, it's fairly recent that reality has fully outstripped fiction. And the other problem we have now too is that the sort of the spin machine of fiction, fictional fact, I'm going to call it, or as as Kellyanne Conway called it, alternative facts, is turning out material at such a breakneck speed that it really makes it difficult to to even know how far one can push their satire, because you're competing with forces that are really wild, is all I can say, you know, uh, and, and unchained. So it's it is complicated, because I still believe in certain kinds of structures and certain things where I wouldn't want to cross various boundaries and so on, but I don't think that the people who are spinning those alternative facts care about that
0: given that the book isn't coming out until September uh, and given that so much has happened in June, yeah. I, I mean, it's yeah. just July today with Roe versus Wade, mass killings, maybe those can be expected, but certainly the Roe versus Wade thing was quite unexpected. Um, do you fear that by the time the book comes out in September, it may be out of date already?
1: No, I mean, thats a, I think that's a really interesting idea and a good question. And I, I mean, I've, I've had thoughts about it, but I actually think that one of the jobs of fiction, and certainly I see one of my jobs, is to be, in some ways, prescient and anticipatory about what's happening in the world. So on the one hand, this book is set in a you know in 2008. So I purposely pulled it back in time, in a way, to further allow me to talk about this moment that I anticipated. And so I, I look at parts of this book where the young woman, there's a young woman character, Megan, who you know votes for the first time that year, and is coming into her own. And really all of her questions about what does it mean to be a young woman now, meaning in you know 2022, where we will be now, I think are incredibly on, vibrant and on the table and part of this book. And I think the question too about what does it mean to want to repossess the American dream and repossess one's idea of America, which is certainly what the big guy and his cohort of the forever men want to do. And it prompted my editor in England to ask me, you know, well, they, they keep saying they want to support democracy. And I said, well, you have to realize that suddenly people have very different de- definitions of what is democracy, what is democratic. So I think, you know, for better or worse, the book will be still on the cutting edge, you know, come September, come October, November, December, and hopefully the questions it prompts will be with us. You know, I think are they're, they're universal questions. And importantly, it's always a question about human behavior, right? That's, That's at the core of everything I'm always writing is what compels people to behave in the way they do. And what does it tell us about people? And those, you know, that that goes back to the beginning of time. People behave in character.
0: And this is your 13th book. It makes you a, for better or worse, a very experienced writer. You've been through this dance before many times. Um, What do you think it's like for first time female writers? I, I did a couple of interviews with, Uh, female novelists Emma Mm -hmm. Brody who just wrote a wonderful book about uh, a love affair between Joni Mitchell and James Taylor very nostalgic I think for 1971 Mm and then uh, another lovely book by a a young female writer uh, Alison Fairbrother The Catch about a very complicated relationship between a daughter and her father um, which um which I think is in, in some ways based on a, on a real relationship between fair, fair Brother and her father. Do you feel a little, I wouldn't say envy, do you feel a bit sorry for them to have to start writing in such a weird world? You learnt your trade in a much more standard, conventional environment, didn't you?
1: Yes, but I would say that the access of women to writing and publishing was, was, worse when I was a young writer. So in a one, on the one hand, I envy them the fact that all bets are off. I envy these young women writers like, you know, Lydia Yuknovich, who I've been reading lately, and Maud Newton and the wonderful short story writer, Young, Lee, Lee Newman, that they have the liberty to play with form, to play with ideas, to not just write, you know, chick lit or books that are, you know, about women's lives in the smallest sense or in the, you know, in the sense of, of you know, what man they're looking for, but they're really writing books that are about what it is to be human and what it is to, to look at one's history and one's past. So I actually think that there's way more opportunity for young women writers now and writers of all kinds, not just even young women, but writers of color and writers who you know, are, are sort of non-conforming in one way or another. So I think it's actually a good time and and people are really into reading it at this particular moment. Maybe it's a post-COVID thing that everyone got, you know, back interested in books when there was nothing else to do. But in that sense, it's good.
0: Um, As I said, there's a lovely piece of cake on the cover of the unfolding. You trying to put that cake together back again, AM? Is it a book with solutions? It's a book, of course, about a a Divided America, many books about A Divided America, but do you have some fixes? Is there any degree of optimism in the book about how we can begin talking to one another again, the coasts and the countryside, men and women, whites and blacks, and so on and so forth?
1: I mean, I think that there, I don't have, I mean, I personally have fixes and things I would like to do to, to improve the way the situation works. But I think in terms of, as a fiction writer, I don't ever write a book proposing to to know how to change things or to have a recipe for um, improvement. I would say really for me, it's about provoking questions. And that's why in some ways I get in trouble as a writer because I'm always provoking. Um, on the other hand, I think that I, I want people to read the books and look at themselves and look at the world they live in and ask, what does this mean? And what do we do? Because I, I don't think that that as a writer i don't think of my job as being one to have answers
0: what trouble do you want to get in when this book comes out in september what what how would you like to make people angry or upset
1: it's not that i want to make people angry or upset i think that that in some ways um the the world of this book and the the older white men in this book are wealthy and that will bother some people i feel like on the one hand that that may bother people but we have not seen and heard from that group sort of in the world of fiction in some ways. I think it's interesting the way that, to me, the book is very much this sort of braid of the story of this, this, you know, the big guy's kind of private life with his cohort of friends and then the weave of the family story with his wife and daughter. And I think that, you know, I'm always writing about that split between people's public and private lives. And I think that's very much also at the core of where we are as a country. You know what do we what do we say when we're home by ourselves? What do we say when we're in the streets? Who are we to each other? So that's what I'm looking at always. And you know, if it makes people angry, I, I don't really care. I mean, not to be weird about it, I, I'm not. I'm not writing to to make people think. Oh, um, I feel so much better now. I'm writing to make people think. Oh, that was interesting. That made me think about so many different things.
0: There's a great deal of anger already in America. Uh- Did a show with Jennifer Seigneur on Steve Bannon. She had a very Mm -hmm. important essay, I think, on Bannon in the Atlantic, um, imagining him as American Rasputin. What's struck struck me, and I actually I just wrote a piece about this uh, on Apocalypse Now about Bannon and the American right is how open they are, openly derisive of democracy, openly embracing violence and. Mm Uh, perhaps even mass murder. How fearful are you and how fearful of the book is that America could quite literally tip into civil war? We've, we've done shows already this year with Stephen Marsh, the Canadian writer, who actually thinks America is already in a state of civil war and he thinks that's inevitable.
1: I think you're totally on to something when you talk about that. So I think that absolutely we are really in a, in a dangerous time philosophically, physically, morally, in relation to our friends and neighbors and families. The whole thing, I think, could break apart. And it's interesting to me, you're right, that, that Bannon and other folks are so out there, and it seems to me they don't care. They they would rather stir the pot and incite violence and mayhem and so on. There's, there is no regard for who we are as a country, who we are as a people. They, they, it's just, it's gone. And I think that is the scariest thing. Yeah, there's
0: no... Bannon doesn't seem to have any shame, and perhaps if we had a conversation with him or some of his followers, they would say, and he sometimes articulates this on his popular podcast, The War Room, that American democracy doesn't work and hasn't done anything for Americans for generations. Trump says the same thing, perhaps not quite as coherently. Do you think there's some truth in that, that democracy simply is, you know, going back to our, our flying metaphor, the operational challenges of of American democracy have screwed up the whole system.
1: Well, I, as someone who who aims to remain optimistic in some way, I think defiantly,
0: defiantly.
1: defiantly, optimistic in the face of of real real f- fear. I will say that absolutely there are operational challenges, and absolutely democracy needs to continue to grow and evolve. And when we think about when people left England and came here to found this country. What were they trying to do? And what were, what were the sort of ideas of that? And then what would those ideas, if brought forward, so not that one of the things is that everyone like just hangs on to the original ideas, but how would those ideas grow and expand and develop over time? And so I think that we have great capacity as a country to be a country of immigrants, to be a country of people from all over the world, to be a country of differing opinions, but respect. And that is completely at the moment Running through a shredder, and that I think is super scary, because it also means when you have no respect for other people and other people's opinions, they all bets are off in terms of violence, in terms of, you know, even how we comport ourselves. You know, it's not just about democracy. It is about sort of society and the ways in which people have to actually live together. So it doesn't, you know, it's a very complicated dance, and I think we owe it to, ourselves and our children and our history to try to, you know, figure that dance out a little bit better.
0: Hey, Em, is it going to be the kids who save us eventually? Um, your book is a, 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 some of the narrative is about a relationship, the big man with his 18 year old daughter, Megan. Yeah. We've done a number of shows recently with particularly young women trying to think differently. Uh, one young uh uh, senator, state senator from um, Maine, uh, Chloe Maximim, about mm-hmm. teaching Democrats to listen to rural America. Another young uh, uh, Mexican-American uh, activist, Monica Guzman, teaching us how to talk to one another again. Is it ultimately up to the young people to fix this situation, this crisis?
1: I think, well, first off, I think that the the important things are absolutely listening and that was that's where the trouble started is i really think that the political system stopped listening and stopped paying attention to the american people um is it up to the young people to fix it i think that they're also for the first time probably since the late 1950s there's an enormous generation gap and the young people are furious with us and feel that we have so wrecked things for them so i think hopefully yes they will be on board to help fix it but I think that we can't just jump ship at the moment. I think that you know we we still have a lot of responsibility and hopefully a lot of capacity to you know get things right or get things better. I I
0: agree and disagree with you on this generational shift. Yes, young people are angry with us, but on the other hand, and I did a show with Kurt Anderson about this mm-hmm. a few years ago there's very little distinguishing in cultural terms, the generations. You know, Emma Brody wrote a nostalgic book about Joni Mitchell and James Taylor. She loves them both. Our kids are listening to the same music, dressing like us. Maybe the technology's changed, but perhaps what we're missing is some cultural rebellion on the part of this generation. Uh, You know, you and I are of a Relatively similar generation, I'm yeah. guessing. We we went through that cultural rebellion. That hasn't happened.
1: It hasn't happened, but I think we've had other things that are actually, for lack of a word, more dangerous and destructive, and 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 not as liberating as cultural rebellion. I think the pandemic, and the level of of fear about things like gun violence and and health, and the the anxiety among the young, I think, is actually, in a way, is is if something is going to sort of make it difficult for them to take charge and do things, it may be that they're paralyzed by anxiety and fear because it's really complicated. Um, It
0: is complicated, uh, A.M., and that's why we have you because if it wasn't complicated, we wouldn't need novels, but your novel, uh, your upcoming novel, The Unfolding, will be out in September. I think the whole world's waiting for that one. How are we going to survive the next three months?
1: Well, I'm going to keep writing and you're going to keep doing your wonderful shows and we're going to keep listening to them and we have to all just keep talking, right? We have yeah, to talk. Yeah, well, we got to talk,
0: keep talking but also keep listening. Yes, and of course exactly. keep reading. Uh, I I can't wait uh, for your book to come out and see how people are going to respond. I hope it will make some people angry. I think that's healthy. They have got to get be a response. Uh, what else, in addition to the unfolding, when it comes out, uh, Am should people be reading? What are you reading? You mentioned a couple of authors earlier.
1: Sure. Well, I've been reading, you know, uh, Richard Powers' *Bewilderment*, which I love. Yeah, that's an reading. incredible
0: book. Don't yes, you think?
1: It is. And you right? know what's
0: incredible? I, I always bring that book up, and yes. in fact, I want to get Powers on the show, is because of the way he turns the world upside down, and he makes the children the wise ones.
1: Exactly, and it's it's beautiful, and it does. It, it, despite how complicated it is, it does make me feel a little bit better. And sometimes even a tough old cookie needs to feel a little better. So there's that, which I love. And I've been reading uh, Jim Kerchick's Secret City, which is the history of gay Washington. Yeah, uh, he was on our show. That's a good one
0: too. And he's very entertaining.
1: Yeah. Um, Maud Newton's uh, Ancestor Trouble, which is really interesting because I think that's also always a piece of all of it. Uh, There's so many, there's actually so many good books right now. And the one you mentioned, actually, I don't, I don't know the book, the Joni Mitchell, uh, James Taylor one, but I want to read that immediately.